0: The Playhouse and That's Not Kind of Productions acknowledge the Yuggera people, traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording this show today and all surrounding areas where we live, learn and work. We also pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hey, Rumi.
1: Hello there. So here we are in lockdown. What oh, else? Just the usual, Just chilling at home. Just, <laughs> doing
0: nothing. Just as a side note, I love your jumper. Oh, thank you. It's, it's very
1: warm. It's I mean, so- obviously it's a jumper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it <laughs> hopes so,
1: darling. No, it looks very cosy. It is. Well, I think where I am right now, where the, the blinds are, it's a bit clo- it's, it's closed. So there's no hot, I mean, not hot air, but like the sun's not in the room so I think that's why but um yeah how are you going with lockdown brooke oh not too shabby honestly yeah it's I I think it's
0: a routine at this point like just work from home study from home oh oh I graduated guess who is miss Edwards oh it's so exciting congrats darling thank you thank you and it's a very exciting episode as well to be in the drama education space because we are talking to someone who is probably one of the front runners in terms of influential people in the theatre education space.
1: Yes. Now, this is Lucas Debard, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the theatre nerds and all the the drama peeps and everybody, they would be familiar with this name as well because he's been everywhere. Everywhere. The big one I think a lot of
0: people would have studied at one point is Boy Girl Wall, an iconic text. This is going to be a really exciting interview, and... This man needs absolutely no introduction. So I think we should just get straight on into the interview. Let's just get straight into it. Lucas, Yay! welcome to the show. We are thank you. bloody stoked to have you here.
2: Ludicrously happy to be here.
0: It's, we were saying this already, but you're one of the guests that was one of our most requested, one of the guests we were most excited to talk to, because there's just so much to talk to you about. You're such a multi-hyphenate. So I guess what we'll get started with is how the hell do you define what you do?
2: Um, one, thank you. You honour me. And it, it's, it's really... Um, mm, uh, I do not deserve any of it, but thank you. Defining myself. Um, oh, okay. Uh, look, when I um, when I when I started, I, I kind of wanted to to make stuff and make and make kind of uh, films and 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 then make theater and then uh, kind of became an actor and then kind of went and did a whole lot of other things to the point where like when I run workshops and stuff now, I think I probably describe myself as an actor, writer, producer, director, dramaturg, designer thing. Um, And then come back to just going, I make stuff because I think that's that's kind of at the core of it rather than trying to actually silo it, Um, which has been to my detriment because unfortunately I think a lot of people aren't comfortable with people that don't, the boxes and um, it has also meant that it, it's it's great in that it's very freeing and that occasionally people are like, just do weird stuff. And I'm like, yeah, fine. And other times it, it's difficult because people are like, oh, I didn't know that you did that. And it's like, yeah, I, I like doing all of this. Like, why would you not want to get into this to try all of it and and see where it leads and what it can do?
1: Fabulous. And because you have multiple skills in the industry as well, do you believe it's important having multiple Skills rather than just having the one core skill that you have.
2: Uh, look, I'm um, frankly the idea of a uh, like a, a like a career portfolio and, and like a, a T-shaped skill set in terms of depth of knowledge in one area, but then a spread of knowledge in others. I think is really incredibly important. I was really fortunate in that um, you know both my folks I saw pivot and change jobs when I was growing up. Um, So I I never had that mentality of going, well, you just do this thing and you keep doing it and then people pay you for it and then you die. So I was really lucky to see uh, people going through those processes of lifelong learning and going through those processes of having to, you know, change and shift and find where they had transferable skill sets from one thing to another. Um, and I think also I, I just wanted to try it all um, part of it comes out of rampant egotism and just going, well, yes, that doesn't look that hard, but I could probably do that and then trying it and utterly failing and then having to go to people who actually do have expertise in those areas and asking them to actually explain to me where I've gone horribly wrong and fix it, which has been a, a, another large part of my experience. Yeah, I think it's, it's just a weird um, and interesting time that we live in, in that, Um, yeah, you've got to be broadly interested and good at things and and staying uh, curious at at wanting to attack the different areas of of what we do and the the practice of kind of storytelling and theatre making and and story making and interactive design and and where those things sit. Um, I think also, you know, I'm incredibly privileged as a, you know, now middle-aged middle-class white person to be able to actually have that opportunity whenever I want it to kind of just go oh that interests me and then just kind of run at it which I think is incredibly fortunate and um, I feel deeply beholden to trying to actually do good stuff with that whenever possible
1: and this is just a a scenario thing here but if someone rocked up came to you and said if you only had to pick one role would you would you be able to do that like have a decision for that (laughs) or you literally couldn't answer that
2: Oh, um, I'd probably sit there and ask, "Why are they doing this to me?" Outside of sheer, you know, kind of maleficence, I, I don't, I don't know. I wanted to be an actor because I wanted to try doing a billion different things and, and you know, walking in a billion different people's shoes and trying out different stuff. Um, but at the same time. I then when I did become an actor, got really bored really quickly just being an actor and then wanted to do other things because I I had strong opinions and ideas about the way things could be made and should be made and about the unfairness in it and how we could fix change or at least play with that. You know what? I'm going to game the system and go, if I could choose only one, I'm going to go with the one that I don't think I'm ever going to get to uh, again, outside of the little opportunities that I had. And and, uh, I'm going to say artistic director in terms of, wanting to actually have a swing at being able to shape cultural conversation at that level in that way. Um, but I don't think that's uh, a thing that will happen. And I'm, I'm better with that now than I was a few years ago, because that was all I wanted to really do. And that was kind of where I was leading my life towards. So it's, um, yeah, I think if the option is I can only do one, but I actually get to do it, then I'd say artistic director.
1: Do you think it's good getting a taste of that as well?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, The time that I had on um, Festival Australian Student Theatre, helping guide and lead and shape and build um, was really, really exciting to be able to be in that kind of developmental curatorial area that's actually about kind of making, you know, working on the state of the art and particularly getting to do that with young people, which means that I was getting to do it with where the state of the art is going to grow and be and getting to watch that across the time that I did it and now watching those artists and, and watching what they're doing is really, has been really rewarding and exciting.
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought up the developmental side and also working with young people because a lot of what I was really excited to talk to you is to do with your work in the drama education space because you're always popping up. I'm a drama teacher. You're always popping up in the, the drama teacher's Facebook page. People say, like, oh, I've got a question about Boy Girl Wall. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is, well, Boy Girl Wall has become one of the most iconic texts used in drama classrooms, especially in Queensland. Did you and Matthew Ryan ever anticipate the work being so cherished by drama teachers and also now the syllabus writers?
2: I don't don't know. Um, Travelling back to 2008, 2009 and actually asking young Matt and young me and young narrator and young Sarah and young Keith and young Jonathan and kind of going, can i tell you this by way of a story i think it's probably the easiest way to um so before that um narrator and jonathan had been approached by sean me who was the then artistic director of Le boîte and he had um out of his incredible kindness generosity and interest in developmental work i uh, had looked at what was going on and seen this opportunity um to get these young artists and narrator and jonathan had been doing kind of um crazy puppet shows and stuff they do a A performance where they do Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights With Jonathan manipulating a tiny Heathcliff puppet And um, narrator is a full-size Kathy In the end she eats him It's bizarre and wonderful and very funny And they'd been doing all of these kind of um, Really Out there but very clever, very funny Kind of pop culture tinged performances And Sean um, Put aside some of the money That he would earned from directing The Spirit of Christmas One year um, at QPAC And said Uh, I want to put you in a room pitch me a show and so Nerida and Jonathan gathered myself and Matt and said come up with a show so we uh, spent a week in a room and I kind of facilitated asking us all what we loved and what we were interested in and what we wanted to do on play and we came up with this thing that became Attack of the Attacking Attackers which was like a puppetry rocker Stedford about um, 1980s horror films and the war on terror and was this melange of crazy with big scooby-doo influence in it um and we pitched it and um labite at the time were looking for 18 to 30 year olds to kind of come to the theater and they wanted something that would do that and so they took a punt and gave us a lot of money and let us build this insane show and we tied in a whole lot of um, local artists and our friends and built this thing and earned some more money to put it on by throwing fundraiser. And uh, at the end of it kind of presented this show that wasn't an indie show, but was had the spirit of an indie show, but that was part of the Bart season that year and um, it went really well. It got a huge turnover in terms of the aims of the people that were supposed to be there. But what happened was um we then decided we wanted to tour this thing and we got really excited and we kind of consolidated into being the escapists and had this plan and went and pitched it and got a national tour happening. And then the global financial crisis happened and the whole thing just collapsed. And so in a fit of peak, um, because we'd been told that it was very expensive uh, as a show, cause it had a big, you know, it was a, a big cast and a big touring company and it involved a ton of setup and planning and stuff to make it work. And in a peak, we turned around and went, well, fine, we'll just make the exact opposite. And so years and years and years ago, back at university, in a creative writing exercise, I'd written a story about a boy and a girl on a wall. And uh, summer, it was set in West End. It had anthropomorphized characters, including things like Tuesdays. Um, and I took those ideas and kind of said, well, let's pitch that to see if we can put something else up. But let's do it cheap and, you know, as easy as possible. Let's make a one-person show and then we pitched up two or three different ideas around things that we could do. Uh, and the people at Metro arts were sweet enough to look at it and they didn't understand it at all. And they, they didn't, um, they admit that they didn't get the actual storyline or the pitch or the treatment of it, but what they were interested in was us as artists. Again, that, um, wonderful developmental mentality is really, you know, it was really kind to us. And, um, so we we just um, we went away and I wrote uh, a first draft that was ludicrous and um, uh, I think over uh, over eighty pages long, um, just screeds of stuff. It was while I was touring um, a show for Bell Shakespeare, and so I'd hop off stage and just write madly, and then um, go back on stage and perform, and then come off stage and write. Um, and I sent that to Matt and um matt and i had batted around the idea of where to go and some structure before that and then we sent this thing backwards and forwards and um he'd cut parts and add new jokes and then i'd cut his jokes and add my jokes back in and we'd send it backwards and forwards joking to each other a lot um we came back to this thing with the first draft and took it into the rehearsal room and it ran for about two hours and um i just went no we can't do this and so we went back and um squished it down to the, the, the 21 pages that it is now. But I think overall the idea of that story and the urge behind it and um, wasn't necessarily educational so much as, well, not specifically, but I think all theatre is proselytising. Um, I think the thing that keeps theatre alive is theatre and I think the thing that theatre does best is talk about itself. Um, and what I was interested in doing was experimenting and celebrating theatricality, imagination and the joy of play. So taking those kind of core concepts and then with this really simple storyline, um, that was, you know, it's, it's nothing it's, it's a meet cute. Like literally you get to the point at which they meet and then it stops. It's, it's, um, it's a delivery device for a whole ton of, um, different ways of playing and i think um also the the tension at the time between matthew and i matthew is a a wonderful formalist writer who has a very strong idea about um aristotelian structure and is not particularly interested in um deviating from that um and and i i believe as a human also has a strong sense of um things happen for a reason whereas i I, um i don't i i come from a, a very chaotic belief in the fact that you know this is all a series of wonderful random chance that we ascribe meaning to um to keep ourselves sane so um i was much more interested in trying to deviate from that and break it and you know uh break the fourth wall and and spend time finding ways where you can spend a whole story telling seven introductions to actually then get to one moment that should actually be the end of the first act but it's the end of the play and trying to break those rules um so the, the tension between those two things of uh, the, the, the plays out in the fact that it, it's kind of a divine mousetrap of a show, but it's also a chaotic mess, I think is a really important balance inside it. Um, I was also just interested in all of the things that I talked about. I was working at um, Brisbane powerhouse at the time as a, an usher, um, which I only stopped doing this year. And I, I regret, I miss that place so much, but um, I would, take a notebook with me and um, just whenever I came with stuff, I just write it down in this tiny little book that I've still got that has the original drafts and meanderings of weird ideas about what did and didn't make that show. Um, But yeah, in terms of being intentionally educational, um, I think I was just celebrating theater and the form of theater and my understanding of it and what it could do. And and also just wanting to see how much I could break it um, while playing with it in a way that, was about storytelling and getting all the way back to the essentials of storytelling in its most basic form, which is one person just making silly noises and other people getting to actually see that in their heads and coming right back to it being seeing it in their heads as well, trying not to um, no, trying not to give everything to the audience. Um, my love of Brecht and, and Brechtian devices and, and all the kind of the ideas behind Wafflundum's effect, but not using it for a political agenda but using it as a playful series of tools to be able to actually be incredibly inventive and play, play around in a postmodern sense with a text Um, through to my interesting kind of, you know, post -post postmodern post-dramatic theater uh, and, and kind of the idea of performance as performance and performance as endurance and cool fun and playing into all of those kind of ideas and kind of smooshing all of that together with a whole ton of books and literary references to things that I love um, like, Um, Dylan Thomas under Milkwood um, science um, and just putting that in a big pot and stirring it around Um, we did have then at the end of it uh, an intention to try and make it accessible educationally Um, very aware of the fact that it's always been chock full of swearing uh, was the fact that we got Katie Stewart, who was very involved in Drama Queensland at the time and was a teacher at Morningside and a friend of ours to come and write the original notes and actually develop it up so that we were kind of unintentionally, intentionally looking at it from an educational perspective. And then after those first seasons, we were very fortunate to have a look at it. And then um, John Halpin, who was at House at the time, uh, suggested that Melbourne Theatre Company have a look at it and when Melbourne picked it up for their season, they were very interested in it being an educational show. And so it got tied into the Victorian schools list. And um, when it went down there, it got another set of, it's now had three different sets of um, educational notes that go with it at different points. Um, but each time it's been kind of around the way that people want to treat it because it's, it's, because it's such a mosaic and, and a mess of theatrical convention and form and kind of references a lot of stuff from the very developmental stuff, under the current interesting syllabus or um, that you've got the kind of the, the beginnings of um, storytelling at the very basis of it. And then right through to actually kind of discussions around adaptation at the end of it and kind of where that sits and plays, you can kind of pull some Pomo stuff into it or some storytelling stuff or some break stuff. Um, it's not overtly political, except in the sense that, you know, it's my politic, uh, which means that it's, 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 relatively left-leaning but you know it, it, it's not actually in there as a really the only message like that is if you don't like what you're doing leave which is <laughs> probably not the best message um it's uh, a yeah, yeah um I, we've been really fortunate in the fact that it is actually something that young people have loved there was a really weird moment at le um the second season uh, of the le seasons where uh, a friend of mine who's a, a reviewer in South Australia had come up for a conference and seen what had happened and was just writing about this weird thing of going, how is it that there's lines of like 16 year olds outside the bike bar- waiting to get into a show on a Thursday night, like what is happening here? And then the, the discussion around that just being the luck of what we were doing and that we were really fortunate to have actually touched something at the right point. Um, There's stuff in there that I'd change if we could go back. Um, It's a little bit ableist every now and again. It's a couple of words that I'd lift out in terms of that stuff um, now. But um, I think it holds up hopefully in terms of those things. When we um, took it to America, it was really interesting. There was a lot of discussion around whether or not to present it because uh, we went to the, the the huge children and young people's theatre conference and there was a lot of discussion about whether or not to censor it when I performed it. I decided not to. I decided to actually just do it as is and they could deal with it, which was quite challenging to an American um, conservative sense of mores. And afterwards when we were talking at the market about um, different people possibly picking it up, one of the things that happened uh, was them going, oh, okay, so... Um, it won't, it won't be as blue. And I was like, no, 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 no. we, we, we've actually, there is a version of this show that has been performed before and the actual educational recording that we have now, the one that is actually out through drama Queensland is um, completely clean, but um it was really interesting hearing them go. You'll you'll clean it up and go. Yeah, totally. We'll take out the swearing. And they were going, no, 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 don't. No, it's not just the swearing. Um, you also talk about um, the difference between evolution and creationism, and you actually literally reference the ideas of evolution. And it's that thing of going, oh, um, well, no, that's not changing. Sorry, no. Um, so there was some interesting educational discussions around that as well. But um, uh, yeah, outside of wanting to talk about and celebrate theatricality imagination play i don't think it was intentionally educational more than any good conversation is educational and i think what we we're setting out to make was a really good conversation
0: indeed for sure well, why do you think drama is an important educational tool i mean this is a question that drama teachers get every single day of the week and the parents are like oh we're doing math c physics um what what is your input on the importance of drama as an educational tool
2: yeah um Okay, um, to touch on that other part, I, I completely understand. It's uh, all right. There's a very good chance, uh, Juliet, you're probably going to want to swear, uh, beep this bit, but it, it really fucking shits me in that, yet again, after all of the efforts that everybody went to to try and actually make sure that this time drama and the arts didn't get weighted down, that it instantaneously happened again, and every young person who actually wants to do something that isn't towards this weird. Um, absolute capitalist commodified future of fitting into a little box and being able to successfully do abstract math has been fucked over again to the point where they actually may not be able to do the things they want to do. And it's so unfair. Um, But beyond that, and after that minor point of anger, um, I think drama is incredibly important um, for a number of reasons. Uh, I think it's an an incredible, um, this stuff drives me nuts, right? Because frankly, I think, if people just saw good theater, they'd get it. Um, I think the fact that it has to constantly justify itself is incredibly uh, dangerous and demeaning. It constantly means that you're on the back foot. And it also means that unfortunately what is happening is that you're having to expend energy explaining why something's good rather than actually just being able to make it and it being good. Um I, I'm I'm always challenged by this as an idea because it's that thing of going when it's good it's just good okay so it's just good um, but I, I get that unfortunately everything here has to be justified particularly in an educational system where there's so many checks and balances and and also so many people trying to work out exactly what they want to do with their lives from these points Um, it's an incredible empathetic exercise in that it actually demands that you place yourself in the position of other people and live through their imagined circumstances which means that you're actually opening yourself up to other experiences as a young person um, I think uh, around about The age of 17 or 18, I was working, baking and decorating donuts and selling them. And I was walking along, walking home from work one morning and I was reading a Terry Pratchett book while walking in the gutter so that I could keep my foot against one side of it so I knew where I was walking uh, so I could read at the same time. And I ran into a parked car because I wasn't looking up and I had an epiphany. And I kind of realized that um, personality is, in fact, a construct and that all that stuff that they taught us. I don't even know where that was, but probably around theory of knowledge or theory of mind stuff that happens in developmental stuff at school around the fact that we are the agglutinative mass, not only of the genetics that we've been given, but also the different areas of influence that have happened to us and the things that we've taken in consciously and subconsciously across our entire lives, as well as from that, our responses to it and the way that we actually wish to be. And um, that idea of wanting to actually understand and be able to manipulate that construct and see that we we are not actually just limited to the genetics and to have the ability to deconstruct the influences that come into us and for us to be able to actually understand and have literacy. And be cognizant of those influences, I think, is an incredibly important thing. And it's a series of skills that drama really teaches you in terms of being able to understand that you can change your quality of energy, that emotion is actually something that is not necessarily of us, but is something that we experience. The fact that what we do in the world is actually based in action and the way that we interact with other people. And once you understand those things, I think you're on a better path to probably hopefully being a better human being. Um, It also teaches reading. Uh, it, it actually encourages people into an active sense of literacy and into a sense of literacy that I think is dying in terms of people reading out loud and celebrating spoken word and written word and the way those two things interact. It's also tournament of the minds in that it, it's 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 a million different skills being placed together in an embodied uh, form that actually demands of you um both physicality and and an active mentality at the same time which i think is is pretty exciting and important in that one moment if you're making indie theater you will be up a ladder focusing a light followed by having to try and memorize a large screed of things while at the same time placing yourself inside the imagined circumstances of a character and at the same time you're also probably concentrating on some economics and being able to budget something while also painting so being able to get at all of that stuff and and the the, the level of uh, high-function problem solving, I think, is also incredibly invaluable. Um, but basically, I I reckon um, from the, the very first moment, back at whatever form that we were at in our evolution, at the point at which somebody came home from a particularly crap day to the cave and Ugg said to other Ugg because they hadn't invented more names yet. um, What's the matter? And the other Ugg went, well, it's been a crap day. Let me tell you all about it. And then got up and started acting out how whilst trying to hunt bison, they'd actually tripped over their own moccasins and, you know, then ended up falling in some poo and had to come home and now they're hungry, but it was funny. And the other Ugg was laughing at them. I think that's a really kind of, we've always had that. And I think that urge to, um, attempt to explain our experiences um, on this incredibly uh, bizarre and little finite dot that we're on in the middle of this fast and uncaring chaotic vacuum. And the fact that all of this is happening because it's happening and that we have to try and make sense of it. Um, And in doing so, we try to reference the other people that are also trying to make sense of it and have those discussions and, um, Have try and build consensus around that is really important. I'm really terrified at the moment about the lack of consensus reality and the fact that um, so many people are spending so much time trying to break down our agreed, not only rules for living, but also what is true and verifiable. Um, And as somebody who has spent my life trying to actually discuss these things, I, I get very angry and scared a lot of the time when people start trying to Discuss or break those things down using um, disinformation um, spread by celebrity chefs and um, mummy fitness bloggers, as opposed to listening to scientists and people that have spent years reaching and actually trying to move towards what is verifiable. And then when that changes, because their evidence changes, they change with it rather than actually just claiming that bone broth will save our lives.
0: Absolutely. The, the last thing I wanted to ask to kind of round out the education section. Yes is when you're creating after the success of boy girl wall knowing that it's now in the syllabus and every drama teacher in the world maybe not the world but australia at least is going Boy do you feel pressure now to create works with like genre specific conventions elements of drama in mind or are you leaving that to students and you're just making i'm going make what
2: i like um um i uh look the answer is both I, um, having spent a lot of time as a teaching artist and having spent a lot of time developing and building and working with young people, creating new works, um, inside school contexts, um, that's working to brief and that, that, that's actually, um, pay to play work that I'm really happy to do, um, when it comes to actually wanting to develop stuff. And I'll usually find ways to actually make that as interesting or difficult for myself as possible. Um, Whereas at the same time, I'll also just turn around and go, no, what I want to talk about is, and the thing that I'm trying to write and that I've been batting my head against for the last couple of years is uh, another, a much more gentle, um, much less frenetic, because I'm a lot older, uh, one person show, talking about um, and kind of trying trying to deconstruct the experience of uh, raising a boy uh, and deconstructing modern masculinity and wanting to talk about the difficulties in that, and also my own understandings of growing up and what that has meant, and um, my own relationship with my father, and and uh, stories around that, couched in this interesting dramatic form about somebody, to, somebody who's decided to send a series of messages to their son, but has uh, totally failed, and has also successfully managed to pass away before they're finished, and left this scattered series of um, messages all over the shop in this other person's life that they're only picking up and may not be picking up at the times when they need them, but also constantly reevaluating their presence with somebody. And the fact that uh, our experience of people inside times arrow and it goes one way, but our memories of them actually means that we can exist inside any of the moments that we have with them and the articles and things that hold those, the, the trotskies and um, uh, fetishes that hold us to those people and that help lift us back to those times. Um, which I don't know, I, um, if it does become a, an educational thing, great, but also it's just something I'm interested in telling. Whereas the stuff that I had been building in the last couple of years, I've been really interested in doing work about community creativity, distance and resilience, um, working with groups of young people to develop up and help them build stories and scenarios that have become plays, uh, around those ideals, um. So working with teenagers at different schools like Quacky um or um Wavell State High and places and actually kind of presenting them with these scenarios and ideas around going, all right. Well, this is kind of a, a really useful metaphor for your own experiences in existence at this point in your lives. Let's actually take these symbols and ideas and then develop those up and look at the thematics around them. Um at Wavell last year, I built um and I have an obsession with the Frankenstein and the modern Prometheus myth and Mary Shelley and the invention of modern science fiction by a 19-year-old woman who'd just lost a child on the other side of the world who was born to anarchist feminist parents and you know, got to hang out with um, Lord Byron and stuff and just the wildness of her life, the lives of the people around her and what she created and the fact that it's also so um, ridiculously, yet again, empathetic and, and, and um, feeling and that you come away from reading that book understanding more about Uh, the way we treat people and how important that is. Um, But wanting to take that and give it to a group of teenagers and go, you get treated like this all the time. You are the modern Prometheus. You're the thing that's been created, but that everyone's terrified of like, how does that make you feel? What do we do? What does it mean? Um, Particularly when you're actually inside an education system that is formalized and is actually literally piecing you together to be the little monsters that you are. But then how do you feel about that? And what does it do? Um, So, you know, I don't intentionally create work uh, that's educational. I think the work that I do, I try and make as informative as possible because I think I just like having those discussions with people. But also I'm very fortunate in that a lot of the time schools and places do hire me to do things to a, a medium brief, like can you get a group of you know, 30, 15-year-olds and help them articulate their experience where I'll try and find lenses or, or ways to actually create that that I find artistically fulfilling for myself as well.
1: so much sense yeah very cool thank you very much pleasure I love I love the amount of knowledge you're giving about the drama education and also the the creative industry itself as well I've got a question in regards of trying to balance that creative industry lifestyle and also your personal lifestyle as well because I feel like creative artists get too carried away from it where we kind of forget we've got a personal life as well so how do we how do we balance that
2: I didn't for years I really didn't um I burnt out twice I had a nervous breakdown um you know I strained relationships I didn't see my family I taught a lot um it's weird because that's the myth right is that if you just work really hard then you know you'll get what you want and then you'll be able to make the choices that allow you to actually change that and Somewhere along the lines, I kind of learned that that's not true. Um, the most successful I've ever been is probably the times when I've also probably been the unhappiest um, and the most isolated and alienated and, and lonely. Um, the time I've had most success have been the times when I've been the most tired and the most injured. And um, and that's not to fetishize or glorify that at all. I think the things that I've learned across those times, and it took me multiple times to learn it because I'm stupid, was that it... Um, that's no way to live. Like there, there has to be better balance to this. I, at the end of last year, took some really big conscious uncoupling steps away from what was happening uh, with the arts. Uh, what I was seeing happening, the lack of support that was going on, um, what was going on in the scene itself and, and how unhealthy that is and how much infighting and, and how, how much, as, as much as it likes to present this, this very unified idea of, of the arts. And there are a lot of people here that do that want to help each other, but also underneath that, we, we live in a system that's, um, hugely competitive, um, exploitatively competitive. And, um, I kind of didn't want to play a lot of that game anymore and was fortunate and I am fortunate that with 20 years experience and, and, um, the things that I've had and the things that have been given to me and the things that I've earned or combined have led to a set of transferable skills. And I I was working on a thing and I've been working my butt off, working big weeks, long hours for a couple of years to build and develop a lot of things. And um, my, at the time four year old three year old, four year old son um, was involved in a a project for Brisbane festival where video of him dressed as Spider-Man and instructing people on how to actually do tricks as Spider-Man uh, was being projected as part of the festival onto the side of a wall in a work that Polytoxic had created that was really cool. And I had the opportunity to finally go and see it. And I wanted to go and see it with him and share this experience of him and and kind of celebrating performativity and, and just getting to live your best life and be who you want to be and you know dance around in a Spider-Man costume and and let him honor and celebrate that so that it didn't become like a Star Wars kid moment or anything. And um I got caught up doing a gig that was great and that I was interested in doing with a group of people that I really loved, but I got caught up doing that and it ate my time and it meant that I didn't leave on time and I didn't get there to see it and share it with him. And I was really angry about that. And at the same time, I've been working my ass off trying to do all this stuff and I knew it wasn't going to go or grow. It was going to be what it was. And um, on top of all of that, then that night, I had a sudden realization that um, we hadn't locked up properly when we'd left the place that we were at on the other side of Brisbane, and at four in the morning I woke up after a nightmare and um I had dreamt that I'd actually wished and then experienced falling in the middle of a ground and I woke up out of that very angry and um realized that we hadn't locked up and so i I spent the hour that it took me to drive back to the other side of brisbane outside of Brisbane actually in the next um the next l g a and uh, I locked up the building and on the way there, I just talked to myself and to my higher self a lot and um, talked about what I wanted and why I was angry and what was going on, and what I was missing. And then redressed all of that in my life and then immediately kind of put it out there that I wanted to change that. And um, fortunate that I, I have a network of kind and caring and loving people around me who helped me actually start to look for other things. Um, and from that, I, I found that I had the transferable skill set and then a lot of experience that had fortunately come out of being a teaching artist and spending time with young people into being able to um, take all of those experiences in producing and working and facilitation and, and being with young people and working around resistance and resilience. And um, there was a, a job going at council as a community development officer uh, working with young people in the young people portfolio. And I took it. Um, which means I'm now in the incredibly, incredibly privileged position in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, rife unemployment and the housing crisis and all this horror to be in a place where I have a steady and stable income, which means that I can pick and choose the art that I want to make and the people that I want to make it with. And I recognize that that's not the situation for a lot of people and that developmentally, it took me a long time to get there. But I, I feel very fortunate to be in that situation now where I do, I get to spend my weekends with my family I, um, you know, I, I get to see m- my wife has an incredible business and runs a huge thing called Common People Dance Project, which is a completely wild and ridiculous idea that she came up with herself. Um, and I, I get to help her do that more. I get to be more present for her editing music or, or helping with the production side of that or just um, being a sounding board for her and doing things and, and, and she was so supportive through all the years of and stuff for that decade that I, I would like that I'm now in a position where I get to give back and and be that much more supportive for her. Um, but that balance is now, I've probably swung too far the other way in that, you know, this this year I will, I'll, I'll do um, hopefully at the end of the year, if it comes back, I'll do, I'll work with my mates at Shake and Stir and I'll get to do um, Christmas Carol again because that's, one of the most true and right things I can think of in terms of a story about redemption and love and, and, and giving and kindness, um, and how moved I am by that experience and how much I, I feel fortunate in getting to do that. Um, quick shout out to them, by the way, um, Shake and Stir do some incredible stuff. Um, you know, they're incredibly hardworking, incredibly smart business people who also really love and want to make art and they, they want to support and help people. Um, Their last year um, during that show, they the actors and entertainers benevolent fund last year of course didn't get put to, um, get money uh, to be able to help and support artists and entertainers who are in trouble and of course there was a lot of them in trouble in the last year and a half and will be for the next many years to come and um So they put out the bucket after every single show they went and earned money and um, for the Actors and Entertainers Benevolent Fund and through their their work and generosity and and the beautiful words that Nick Scooby would say at the end of every performance, um, that show managed to raise around $78,000 towards being able to support and care for artists and entertainers, um, which I think is incredible and is a testament to how much that group of people actually care and, and want to do good um, but yeah, so I get to do things like that now and I can choose to do that. I did a creative development um, <laughs> solely based on the people that were involved in that. It was um, Alex, the producer, just kind of came to me and went, hey, would you like to do this? And this, the subject matter was cool too, but really just the ability to say um, Hugh Parker, Tom Larkin, um, Helen Cassidy, Emily Burton, you, um, Eugene Gilfeder in a room, michael fortune directing for a week do you just want to come and do that to which the answer is yeah I, I desperately want to go and play and make and tell stories and help build and structure in that kind of world um so the balance is off in terms of I'll, I'll probably only do maybe six creative weeks of the year but i'm fortunate in that i can take all of the skills and experiences that i have and set into the other work that i'm doing and spend time doing that it's really interesting i think the the arts industry spends a lot of time gaslighting you into thinking that your skills are very replaceable and that you're very replaceable and that what you have isn't that special unless it's really special they're either blowing smoke up your ass because you're genius and you're doing something or you're not that special and you're instantaneously replaceable and it's usually the same person and it's usually within seconds of each other um but Uh, you leave this industry and you take the skills that you get around being able to project plan or talk to large groups of people and be articulate and be communicative and enthuse people into things. And um, it actually gets valued and treated a little bit like magic and voodoo outside there a lot in terms of people being like, how, how, how do you do those things? It's that thing of going, well, I spent the best part of my entire high school career and then a couple of wilderness years afterwards. And then, three years at university and then 20 years of practice actually learning those things it's like anything if you practice you get good at them um but i just chose a set of skills that work in that area um but it's really interesting to see how that works outside the arts as opposed to inside the arts where it's a little bit like oh yeah that's you know everybody does that as opposed to outside where it's a bit like oh magical Um, but yeah work-life balance um i would encourage anybody uh what I did and romanticize working until you drop um, because you just drop. And the, the, the disheartening thing is that you're working in an industry and in a commercial situation where, yeah, you will be replaced and people will be sad to see you go, but they'll just find another one. Um, don't do that. Live, live for the things that you want to live for. Um, don't die for it. Um, don't die for your art. Um, you know, I've something important. Um, something that actually really means something Um, but also uh, be kind to yourselves through that process as well. Don't, um, don't torture yourself. Um, I don't think that's helpful. There's, there's so many bad um, kind of uh, archetypes that that get thrown about and romanticized inside art making um, about kind of like you know you've got to burn for it or you know hang in there because you know Morgan Freeman didn't get the shot till he's 40 so just keep banging your head against a wall or you know five years before Pulp Fiction Samuel L. Jackson was a heroin addict with a kid who was miserable and it's a thing of going great but that's one person's experience in one story it's not universal it's not particularly applicable to yourself outside of a massive amount of narcissism and all it's going to do is hurt you.
1: I love I love how you meant by yeah because artists have that mentality of just constantly being down on themselves just on anything though, and it's so important just the mentality of just being good to themselves and also having that balance of your personal lifestyle and creative lifestyle as well, which is a good segue for our last question. That be, we're gonna for ask that you. though,
2: do other things, be interested in other things. I find nothing more boring than going to anything and having people wanting to talk exclusively about art in the business i'm much more interested in when they start telling me about the fact that in their spare time they paint miniatures or they're into rock climbing or they want to do other things like um i think that's the same for any kind of art whether you're a visual artist or you're a musician or something there's a dangerous trap that we get into about getting into feedback loops where all we talk about and all we exist in is that very closed and siloed world of that thing which is incredibly romantic and i think a lot of people escape into the expressive art forms as young people because of, uh, you know, her trauma experiences they've had and they find that incredibly healing. They build a fortress inside that for themselves. But if they don't leave that and find other things, I think it can get really boring. I think the art versus sport dichotomy is actually part of that as well in terms of, um, I'm always more heartened I I love that Bridget Boyle loves rugby league. I love that she burns for that stuff. It makes me so happy when I see artists who are interested in other forms of experience and exceptionalism and expression that move outside of their own specific lens. Um, And I think if anything, when it comes to the balance, um, keep your other hobbies, I was really lucky to have a group of, you know, uh, there was about 10 to 12 men that I grew up with who have been my best friends since I was 10 years old. And a lot of us went into theater and into studying theater together and moved through the industry together. Um, but we all just hang out and we, you know, still talk shit and play Dungeons and Dragons and hang out together and, and play dumb board games and have interests around music and um, and stuff outside of that other stuff. So I've always had that fortunate ability to move away from just being in 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 the little bubble And uh, i think it's that's really important um and it happens a lot at university too particularly if you're in the hallowed holes of z9 and you're on level three and you're kind of just hanging out in your little area and you might go as far as being able to hang out with um the other years and you might go as far as being able to hang out with kind of like between the fa students and and students and kind of the, the balance between that um, you'll probably get to talk to the technicians and stuff, but beyond that, like, um, and I was guilty of it at uni too, um, trying to meet people in other disciplines. Um, it's great that the building there is, is, is all CI, but in terms of that, it would be so much more exciting too to get out and, you know, get over to the other side of campus and go and hang out with the paramedics. Cause those guys are wild and fascinating, fascinating human beings. Um, sorry, people, not guys trying to get away from that in my life. Um, but the different ways that those things uh, can happen and, and the, 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 the how much more round your experience will be um, if you try to always make an effort to stay outside the bubble.
1: Definitely. There's That's so right. much more knowledge now. I'm,
0: I, need to I think we needed to, need to do like a two-part episode with you, I think. I think was, Don't, just...
2: please. No, you're just going to have me rambling more.
0: <laughs> Our question that we ask everyone, because we're Playhouse, yeah. the home of theatre, very homely vibes, homely themes. Where's home for you?
2: Oh, okay. Don't
0: reveal your address.
2: <laughs> um, oh, I think a lot of people know it anyway. Um, but <laughs> it's, um, okay, uh, ooh, oh, in, in, on a spiritual and psychic level, it's in a small warm room with uh, my family and a fireplace and cats and good food and a whole lot of books uh, and games and people to play them with and being able to tell stories and share those stories with people. Um, I'm very fortunate, uh, years ago, I, I did, uh, have a moment where I totally burnt myself out. Um, I come back off a very big and very emotionally training tour. And I started teaching, um, doing teaching work, uh, as a teaching artist up at St. Pat's in Shorncliffe And I was driving up in that area and, and up around the, the very Northern Northern, Northern reaches before you disappear out of Brisbane, up near the water. And I just found it very calming. And, um, I eventually, uh, I just managed to convince my amazing wife, Nerida, to move up here um, with our beautiful son. And so, I, I'm I'm really fortunate that my home is also home. That it is a it's a you know a, a beautiful little ramshack or beach sack um, near the water, near my favorite pub, um, near a lot of very happy places with a, a nice garden and a tin roof and a big kitchen that I can cook in and a, a bathtub and all the things that I kind of have ever wanted. Um, and in a place where I can get to, and I'm close enough to Brisbane, but I can also pretend that I'm nowhere near Brisbane within five minutes, and just hop in a canoe and go and hide in the waterlands, and, and kind of go and explore. Or You're
1: not near the hustle out. and bustle of the city, which is good. Not
2: anymore. I um I, I made an active. It's weird, right? Because I lived in West End for decades and and loved it and loved being
1: right in the middle
2: of it, and um, I think my my, my argument with myself was always I was either going to be living literally in the middle of everything on top of a building, um, like right in the heart of it all, uh, or I was going to be as you know somewhere where I could just escape and um, stick my feet in water or go for a swim or take the canoe out for a paddle or just disappear as quickly as possible, but nothing in between. I wasn't really interested in um, I fetishized and, and romanticized and played with suburbia before as an idea. And I'm very attracted to it because it's where I grew up. And I think there's a real romance to it, but I'd, I'd also just don't want to be trapped in it. So I'm really glad to be somewhere on the edge of that, where I can actually kind of hide away and just enjoy trees and, and sea eagles and, and, you know, people who want to go fishing and just hang out or I can, you know hop on the train and in 40 minutes be in the guts of it which i think is really lucky um and and also fortunate um yeah and also
1: yeah it's like the same as well because i live in the redlands area and it's like yes a decent 40 minutes away where it's like it's a nice little community area but it's not too it's not too close to the city where you can see all the buildings and everything so it's just like a nice transition but i know i i know what you mean by there
2: what's home for you two
1: i'm on the gold coast Uh, so i'm
2: like i'm
0: like in a separate city i have a weird relationship with Brizzy.
2: yeah (laughs) that that could actually you could have successfully managed to encapsulate and and articulate the entire relationship between the gold coast and brisbane as which i imagine are a pair of sisters who are quite different Mm. but who kind of love each other but at the same time have very different Kind of socio-political leanings as well as taste,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: so it's that thing of their family. So you know you can't live with them, but you also can't kill them. So it's it's that that kind of it fascinates me. And then like but the Gold Coast. Oh, sorry, I was
0: gonna I was say like said.
1: distant sisters.
0: Yeah. 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 I was gonna say there's also that thing of like the Gold Coasters who move up to Brisbane to go to uni. Mm. That's like a bold statement. Most of us oh, just yeah. go. To, most just go to Griffith. And yeah, not. it's a thing. <laughs> again.
2: No, we're just. Or, here. I'll go as far as Melkrievat. Damn it, no further. <laughs>
0: there's a few that are like i'll stay on the gold coast but this is me i'll stay on the gold coast but i'll commute to brizzy every day yeah
2: oh yeah i know it's so many young people who've done that and i've taught so many of them it's fascinating because there's there's two breeds there's the breed that is like i've been up since four and i'm ready to go and i really want to do this and there's the others that are like i'm kind of doing this because i have to and i resent every second of it and it's like <laughs> you can get back to actually not doing it or it's also the fact i used to take the early morning tutes and it Mostly through laziness and, and, and um, bad luck in terms of organising them. Um, and so a tute in the morning, which would always be the people who'd signed up late and you could always tell that it was a mixture of people that were like, no, I want to nail this in the morning and people that were like, I didn't sign on to anything. I regret this entirely. Um, and you'd watch after about three weeks, the the people from the Gold Coast who'd be like, is there any way that you can film this? And they'd just be like, no, it's a problem with it and get up here, tough. Mm. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
2: but you know different world now everything's online so um Mm. which is fun i I feel very strongly uh i I feel very um sorry for any any young person who um is currently having to do practical subjects entirely online um i think it's incredibly unfair
0: Mm.
1: and
2: a little bit of a rort but you know we can get into that later um but, yeah, more Literally importantly. we're in
1: our capstone unit and we're yeah. on Zoom. Yeah,
2: good times. Um, in terms of the, the – uh, but, but, but home for you in terms of spiritually for both of you, where's that?
0: Oh, we never got asked this question. No. <laughs> I think there's a few – there's a few different places that feel homely. I've always felt really home – this is so silly, Shark Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: No, that makes sense. Why
0: not? cuz like I, you know that's i'm well i was born in sydney i kind yeah, of yeah. grew up there and cuz i moved here when i was just before i turned 10 so yeah um, but we used to perform there all the time with my dance yeah, team. Half time. Yes. Little cheerleaders come out, little fetus me. So that whenever I go back to Shark Park, it's always like, ah, but now it's been crushed and they're renovating. So yeah, I, might, yeah. I might not have that same feeling.
1: Yeah,
2: well, maybe the genius of Loki and the spirit of place will still be there. But um, mm. but it would be interesting. You know, it is that when you do go back to places and go, this is a lot smaller than I remember, is a yeah. really fascinating thing. Yeah, we're we'll
0: in person. Maybe the dance studio. Yeah. If it was my sign, wasn't giving that away.
2: <laughs> no, I was about to say, I bloody love the dance sign in the background too. It makes me so happy. Thank you. But the, um, that. The, the that yeah, smell of feet and sweat, um, mirrors, the noises from next door, all of that stuff is, yeah.
0: Trauma and joy at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun dynamic.
2: Troy. Trauma. <laughs> Trauma? Troy. It feels like it's Troy. I like Troy. Yeah.
1: Very yeah, yeah, Greek. I, I think the weird thing, yeah, I think what I call home is literally – it's literally stuff country it's literally home though because I always find it a safe place for me yeah and I can always do like even in my room I can do my monologues I can do everything my mum and dad know that I do weird stuff when I'm on the script like we're just gonna let her do her thing but that's that's what she's doing and that's yeah. fine yeah so
2: those four walls in particular have you always lived in that house
1: no because um we lived here for a couple of years but Cause I'm from New Zealand. Mm. It was a massive transition getting here though. So we went from place to place to place and then we finally got this house. So it's now building its essence of what is home.
2: That's lovely. Cause you're actually, yeah, you're actually getting to build the home that is home at the moment in there, which is such a great experience
1: yeah which is like these these just need to be painted but that's okay yeah. <laughs> uh, it's on the list you'll get to it it's fine.
2: you know the, the amount of stuff that i've got to do at the moment is ridiculous the um i think the other the other place for me too is um there's nothing better than like a, a theater or a rehearsal room when there's no one in it when it's quiet and when the it's just that that beautiful flat sound because it's been proofed properly and you can't really hear very much but the, the potentiality of that big open empty space Um, and and the the quietness of it and the opportunity to actually just enjoy that is a really, um, I used to go and intentionally fall asleep a lot at uni um, in between classes in the theater. I'd just curl up in the seats and fall asleep under like in the auditorium. Um, And I've always loved that um, those moments when you do actually get the whole place to yourself to just be like this, this, you know, remarkable piece of open potential, and, and what it can be and the fact that it can be everywhere and anywhere at once, I think is really, really beautiful.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Oh, not a way. problem
2: at all. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was really great. I'm sorry it's taken so long and, you know, there's been <laughs> multiple hurdles to get here, but you know, we did it. Cough, Coughpocalypse be damned. Yes! We're actually, Woo! all we're, we're all technically in the same virtual space. So.
1: Oh, for sure. Fabulous. But, oh, honestly, thank you so much for coming in Lucas. We, really do appreciate all like your knowledge and advice
2: and, uh,
1: yeah
2: it's a pleasure thank you for letting me rant for a while um also please don't be strangers come up and say hello like, oh, we'll yeah.
1: when hopefully when lockdown comes up we'll be like hey! yes please
2: <laughs> please
1: there'll be a moment of fear
2: shock and cognitive dissonance given that i'm terrible like with people public um but once i get past that it will be fine so yeah
0: Playhouse picks. Ooh, okay. So, what's on this, this episode, Chelsea? What do, we, what do we have for our Playhouse picks?
1: Playhouse picks. Well, obviously, Lucas is such an inspiration in the creative field, and it's, it's fascinating to see how his work was able to transcend into education. Speaking of education, our first Playhouse pick is from my very own QUT and resident theatre company. It's Billy oh, Carver. Bless. So this is the Fresh Blood Festival that Venacava runs every year. The festival is a pop-up frenzy tucked away in a hidden loft studio in the valley, which is the vacant assembly of experimental theater, visual arts, short films, live music, and a cheeky few drinks here and there. It is a magical time with this Fresh Blood Festival, so many opportunities, and it's just gonna be a whirlwind of fun. And this runs for three days only across the 26th and the 28th of August. And you can get your tickets on Carver socials as well on Facebook and Instagram. The usual goth and all that marketing Fantastic. thing.
0: Just as a little note as well, we are recording in lockdown. We're not sure if anything's being extended or if restrictions. We're recording on the seventh of August. So as of today, the dates are accurate. The info's accurate. But if anything does change, we will be sure to update you on the gram Definitely. at Playhouse Pod. Now, heading over to Toowoomba for something that can only be described as (gasps) supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. (laughs) (laughs) Said that in one breath. Empire Theatre's homegrown independent series presents a tale of the Queensland-born woman who created the perfect nanny herself. Yes, Mary Poppins. So the knowing of Mary Poppins takes a unique and magical journey into the life and imagination of P.L. Trevor. Empire Theatre states that Travis herself was just like her heroine and lived her life in a way that propelled her from one extreme to another. So take a step in time, ha ha ha, to see this extraordinary woman's life from the 1st to the 3rd of September at the Empire Theatre
1: Studio. So exciting. And our next pick is particularly exciting because you might, ooh, you might just see me there actually. Ah! Um, I'm sure, Rumi's that you're all familiar with the Short and Sweet Festival. If not, go back to episode eight, where we talk to the fabulous Josh, Josh Lyons, who is the festival director, which, our Playhouse pick, is the Short and Sweet Gala Finals, which will be at the Tivoli. Woohoo! So, super exciting. So the Short and Sweet offers short, sharp bursts of 10-minute theatre and cabaret, presenting dozens of new works. I'm very, very lucky to be part of this opportunity and <laughs> do this oh, one here um, so I'm part of the reaction theory, which is a fabulous written work by Egan Sunben called more of us and I was had the absolute honor of directing this fabulous piece, which represents POC actors and it was such a pleasure being part of this so if you want to see more of us or even a few of the other works as well, which honestly I've seen the other acts and they are just outstanding. Head over to the Tivoli where you want to grab your ticket and we will be here on the 29th of August. Just around the corner. Just around the corner, literally. So soon.
0: And our final pick for today is the Good Time Theatrics Awakening Tour. A reinterpretation of the controversial classic Spring Awakening, it brings it crashing into the 21st century. The tour cruises through Brizzy, Toowoomba, and Noosa from August 14th to the 4th of September. Head on over to their website to get the dates on
1: if they're coming to a city near you. Definitely. And we'll also chuck it on on our cheeky socials and everything. So no stress. Don't sweat it.
0: That was a really fun episode. I I'm so, so, so grateful that we got to talk to Lucas
1: and should we, should we give a bit of, a, a, bit of a, a taste of behind the works as well? We actually tried to get him in a couple of times, but it was just... He's so oh, busy. He's so busy, but um, we're very fortunate that he was able to come in to the podcast and have a bit of chat with us. And we're amazed with the amount of knowledge that he's got. <laughs> well, I also really liked his insight on like the arts
0: industry and kind of how he was saying like he was burning himself out. Mm. And that's just not on. I'm like, oh, you're right. It is not on. We shouldn't be burning ourselves out. What a scam. Burnout is a scam.
1: Yeah, definitely. What I also didn't realize was the process of boy-girl wall. Mm. I didn't know that. So it was interesting getting an intake of how even bringing a piece together works as well. For sure. Especially for Especially sure. going internationally and everything. But absolutely, legend, Lucas. Thank you for coming into the podcast. And Groovy! Well, I think that's it for this week, Chels.
0: We're going to head off. Party time.
1: Party, Party time.
0: I mean, I might refill my tea.
1: <laughs> Party time in our, in our houses.
0: Love, lockdown. Na, da, da, da. I've been stuck in my head this whole time. What a song. Anyway, so... bye, roomies. Bye. Bye. And, 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 and... and This is so hard on Dream. Zoom. <laughs> What happens when you put three of Brisbane's most talented musicians together to create a playlist? You get the new podcast, Shuffology.
1: Join your three favourite Shuffologists on a journey through time, space, Shuffology and playlist creation. Every Sunday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere where a podcast is available. Playlists are available on Spotify
2: after the show.